my family uh, <laughs> for the movie with tons of impeccable line readings. That might be my favorite from a random bit actor. Um, do you guys uh, still like whenever you see Martin Lawrence, you automatically say to yourselves, Mike Lowry. Cause I, oh, you know, absolutely. Lowry. <laughs> he really yeah. makes a meal out of that pronunciation. Absolutely. Of oh, it's so fun. And he makes the movie, right? Welcome oh. to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace left the film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. We are doing what? I don't even know what number this is in Absurdist Action, but it's, uh, I don't know, like four, five? I don't even know. Yeah, we're, we're in the 90s, 90s, man. Yeah. The 1990s is what we're doing. We're doing Bad Boys and uh, The Legend of the Drunken Master, or Drunken Master 2, officially, I believe. Um, we do have a special guest. Uh, Chris, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, uh, so Harry was introduced through a friend of mine. He is from the Try Love podcast, and he's right here in Minneapolis with me. So thank you, Harry, for joining us. Uh, introduce yourself and the pod that you do. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, I do a podcast called Try Love. Um, there's a little movie theater in South Minneapolis called The Trilon that me and my friends go to around three times a week. And uh, <laughs> we always ended up outside of it discussing the movies for too long afterward they would shut off the lights and so we decided to make it into a podcast so that's what that's all about um and i've been on film trace once before uh for the wes anderson movies the um french dispatch and royal tenenbaums and that was so much fun that i really really wanted to come back so i'm really excited to be here thanks to talk about Bayhem, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. Is oh, that yeah, too yeah, to bring yeah, that out already? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, yeah, what a what a one eighty f- when it comes to nineties directors from Wes Anderson to Michael Bay. That's, yeah. Just two uh, auteurs, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Auteur. You're no. not wrong. Uh, I think we gotta sort of. This is when we have to air our biases on Michael Bay. Um, yeah, let's get it out there. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I mean, uh, I've always hated him. Uh, for a very long time, never liked it. I mean, never liked pretty much anything he did until uh, 13 Hours, which I love as a movie, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> which I made Chris watch one time. And how did you feel about it, Chris? Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I still, you're an enigma wrapped in a whatever they say in JFK. Um, when it comes to that movie, uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there was the Zack Snyder reappraisal um, when his Justice League cut uh, came out for uh, whatever reason. Buzz. And it seemed like when Bay's Ambulance came out yes. uh, earlier this spring, there was some reappraisal of his uh, style. People um, are really coming around on Bay. This wait, is what? I don't realize this happened. Did you, oh, have yeah. you guys seen Ambulance? I no. haven't seen Ambulance yet, but I've heard, I watch that, that, yeah. I've heard is... that there's some amazing drone shots. People really like the drone shots in There's that a movie. lot of drone shots. <laughs> uh, I mean, as someone who, I, you know, obviously, you got to respect some of his craft. Obviously. You can't not. But Ambulance is easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> oh, it's wow. not Damn. even close. Like, it's really bad. So that surprises me that people watched that film and we're like, oh, we need to reappraise it because there's nothing to reappraise there. It's like pretty, it's pretty. Get his ass, hell yeah! Yeah. <laughs> hey, what about you? What do you? What's your wait? Oh, oh Chris, man. did you finish? Oh yeah, Chris. What's please. your feeling? How oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's so. It is complicated. Much more complicated than just like I love him, except for this one bad, you know, war propaganda movie. But um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, and this is gonna be hard for me. I'm gonna have to have some like real like eat my just desserts. I think in this episode because I watched Bad Boys, uh, the, the first one, um, probably more than any other action movie in the '90s growing up. Really. Um, I I know this movie kind of forwards and backwards, but uh, it's I don't know why I love it so much. So I'll probably be untangling that. But when it comes to like all the rest, like I I I have yet to be able to sit through more than half an hour of a Transformers movie. Uh, that you know I saw Armageddon when it came out, but like even as like a you know uh, kind of impressionable you know teenager, I could tell that it was crap and didn't really revisit it um except for you know uh schadenfreude purposes uh-huh. <laughs> but um yeah i just i don't know what it is about bad boys his debut feature that has that still has such a hold on me but i'm sure we're gonna get into that what about you harry 
Yeah, well, I'm glad that we're starting here because I hadn't seen Bad Boys since I think literally the 90s. Um, nice. This right. is my second time seeing it, and um, honestly, I it's it's a it's such a strange movie because I think personally, you know, hot take. Sorry, Chris. Uh, it's a pretty terrible movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> but legitimately, though, uh, there's a lot of really really fascinating directing going on in it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's like very much an auteur sort of like push you know especially for a debut feature it's like it really doesn't look like a lot of stuff that came before right uh the i guess the bayham as you called it uh daniel is like really evident here like yeah. I, oh yeah it really changes the way that you think about uh like an action movie so i think it makes a lot of sense that you guys are covering it on this um all that is to say, I I've always really disliked Bay. Also, uh, even like reading your your great show notes, uh, like just his interview answers always make my <laughs> skin crawl. Like he's such an just a prick, and and like I know I know that like a bunch of those guys, the old heads, are like like conservative, but he's like the conservatives conservative filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's just like. Uh, I like The Rock a lot, though. So, hey, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always that. Where do you want to dive into Bad Boys here? Do we even need a synopsis? Everybody knows this movie, right? I, I feel like they should, but like I and I like I mentioned, I, I know this movie very well, and I probably last watched it maybe five or six years ago, uh, just for funsies, and yet, like you know, putting my podcaster hat on for this most recent rewatch i was just like um (laughs) and we're this has kind of become the uh realization i think for a lot of these episodes in the absurdist action theme that we're focusing on for this cycle of film trace which is that uh i actually i i might go so far as to make the argument that bad boys is a comedy more than it is an action movie um, Ooh, but, yeah, okay, but explain that a little bit more. We need to go deeper on that. Yes. What so do you mean? It's, I, I like it. It's a good take, <laughs> but I want to know thank more. Thank you. Uh, so you've got um, the buddy cop genre, which we uh, will dive into even further next episode with 48 Hours, uh, even though neither of them are technically cops in that movie, um, but it's still that dynamic, right? And then it, it, it you know, doubled and redoubled with Philly Hills Cop and uh, Lethal Weapon. And this was kind of the first take on that where, number one, you had uh, both roles originally going to comedians. Uh, John Lovitz and Dana Carvey were the original. Um, Can you no imagine? I, it makes no sense. <laughs> I, it's, I, it's unreal to think about didn't, that. No. I think no. they did like a test shoot with those guys. Did I get this right somewhere? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I gotta figure out I found that. I think it's um, a little, But yeah, that's crazy that that was supposed to be them. Right. And it's, you know, it's basically the so much of the plot is not even centered around the drug uh kind of uh what i don't know they're trying to find the drugs that got taken from the police department right the evidence room um but a lot more i feel like of the tension between characters of like the uh um ongoing the goings-ons of the day-to-day uh in their journey um obviously the drugs are just a macguffin it's a comedy of errors right it literally is just like an extended sitcom premise of (laughs) two guys that are pretending to be each other you know i i really like this because this really gets at something that i noticed which is that like i mean to say that this movie strains credulity is kind of a huge understatement right (laughs) but like what i kept taking away was that like and I think this is somewhat of a hallmark of sort of like classic madcap comedies, right? Is that mm-hmm. there was no, there was such tenuous in-universe reasons for right. these two characters to act this way at yeah. any point. And they are constantly referring back to their own sort of character traits. Like they have a character sheet that everybody knows about, right? Like everybody's always talking about how Will Smith's character is smooth. And then like Martin Lawrence's <laughs> character is obviously supposed to contrast this. And they're clearly supposed to be the odd couple. And like they set that up at the beginning. And it's like they would often get into arguments that were so like broadly constructed and fabricated for the purposes of having an argument that there were entire scenes that had no narrative momentum outside of the bit. Right. Like, uh, Oh yeah. A big one I'm thinking about is like the, um, 
the the dude at the um the liquor store that like sees that they're black guys with weapons which yeah he like yeah, sticks them up and then they have to like they get into an argument while he's got the gun going and it's like this is like you're right it's like we've entered into this is not an action movie this is like something that you would expect to see you know it's like rush hour at that point yeah 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 think- i mean but at the same time guy i mean like there's does that hold the film together or is it the action set pieces we're talking about michael bay here right i mean i would say a comedy is at least sort of writer first yeah Uh, Uh, it it would have to be funny if it were a comedy (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that because like uh there is a great uh, G- um, GQ oral history of Michael Bay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is where I got like half my notes from. Um, but there's one where the you know uh, vice president of Bay Films is like, yeah, there was no script for Bad Boys. Right. Yeah, Nothing. I know. I saw that note, and it, apparently a ton of it was improvised, right? Like, yeah, yeah like the scene you're talking sure. about was a lot of that was improv, which I think is like you know looking back on this movie, I probably saw this got yeah, probably in the 90s, like same same as Harry, but. I, this time around is like, oh, this is way funnier to me than it was yeah. back then. <laughs> right? It was like, the, like the yeah, the chemistry between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith is just off the charts. Like, it it's, really, yeah, it really it's like, is. It, it's the it's the engine of the movie. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could I could buy that it's maybe an, a comedy action film as opposed to an action comedy. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of like what you said about the writing though, because I mean, I think that like. This is a really again. It's it's kind of interesting because it has like two A plus actors, right? Like both of these guys really kill it in this role, in these roles, uh, and it's got really fascinating directing that makes it feel like this wild comic book that yeah. you c- is never rooted in reality. And and honestly, like one of the big takeaways that I found really effective was that like the editing and the um, shot choices and the cutting, it made some of the like objectionable stuff, not objectionable to me, you know, okay. like I was really along for the ride in this movie. And I think that the, the um, directing got me there along with the charisma of the actors, but the script is rough, right? Like it's yeah. really, really bad. <laughs> the actual writing of this movie is really, really bad. Kind of like unsavably bad, even though they kind of gave it a really good attempt, right? Yeah, yeah but I, this isn't this a, a Bayism though? Like, oh, can we sure. look to any of his movies that were well written? No, none of them. Like, <laughs> and that's the, the island's thing. terrible. I mean, it's I, all. I, I I keep being curious about this, but I, I I still have not seen it. Have either of you seen Pain and Gain? That's I've, the one that people talk about, right? Right. I haven't seen it. I Wait, is it a good thing? I thought it was like it's supposed to be his worst movie. No, no, it's supposed to be his best. Uh, I gotta watch it now. <laughs> no, I, no, no, that's really? not true. I tried to watch it. Oh. I tried to watch it for like twenty minutes. I was like, I can't do it. Like, I'm checking out. Like, but it's the, that. the connection is twofold. I think uh, here I am, like being a complete idiot talking about a movie I haven't even seen, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it also takes place in Miami and it also supposedly heavily relies on like the chemistry between the leads, which yeah. is Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson and Anthony Mackie. Um, and I really think that if you look at, I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I enjoy the rock, but I mean, Nicholas Cage yeah. saves a lot of that movie. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. So it's, you watch it. Yeah, so like I I do think it does come down to like that chemistry and I don't know uh I mean the drone shots were definitely the the majority of the discourse about ambulance but I don't know do do is it possible that Jake Gyllenhaal and Yael Abdul-Mateen the 3rd have chemistry there but whereas like They don't. They don't. <laughs> probably they don't. not. Okay. Um but yeah, but like you know Armageddon there's no chemistry with, a, with that huge ensemble even though there's tons of great people there. Pearl Harbor same thing same. even though it's not <laughs> As many good oh, yeah. people. Yeah. Harbor. Wow. Right? That's a that. tough watch. It's that's a, a real yeah, tough man. Watch. That's a challenging <laughs> film. So I think that ultimately, and I, I could see this in my rewatch of Bad Boys, like you can tell who's just showing up for work and reading their terrible lines versus, you know, Will and Martin that are really like trying to work, make this, you know, random scene work. And I would argue Joe Pantilano is, you know, pull, 
pulling his weight as oh, well. Man. <laughs> yeah, he, he's definitely vital. Does your heart just jump like a mile high? When <laughs> you see that dude show up in a movie, I was so yes. excited when I saw his his name in the credits. And then um, freaking uh, Chrissy, um, Michael Imperioli was in this too, and I was like, I it's, a, it's a Sopranos reunion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, some really great choices, casting choices. And then there's Tia Leone, who's oh also gosh. in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the end of sentence yeah yeah, yeah. No, i mean yeah. she's not come on she's, she's not, not bad she's not she bad. holds her oh, own listen she i like keleone i just it's wild miscasting like i don't yes. know what yes. that character is supposed to be <laughs> she's like yeah, this vegetarian true. and the the wildly misogynistic uh script makes her like extremely annoying and shrill yeah, yeah. And everybody's constantly telling her to shut up and that she's crazy right. <laughs> like playing with the phone cord and her feet on the bed and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like the con everybody going out of their way to make sure that we know that she's not a hooker just her right. friend who is yeah. dead is we have to be very clear that the black woman who gets shot in uh, right Will Smith yeah, kind of pretends quarter. to be upset about it for a scene, and oh then my it gosh. up again. It's uh, so yeah, right. It's it's horrible, right? That, that's what I'm saying. Is that like this is? It was kind of remarkable that like I find this movie to be like deeply misogynistic. Like even by of Michael course. Bay standards, it's pretty misogynistic. Right. And mm -hmm. also like it's it's absolutely wild in 2022 to watch this movie about. Cops who like really exalt in right rules. and breaking the rules, and specifically, like, there are several scenes where they brag about slash compare their body counts as in the number of human beings that they've killed on the job. Right? I, I misinterpreted that so much on this rewatch that I was like, Oh, that's interesting. There's there, they, they want to have the lower body count, but then no, I was I, like, Oh, no, no, that's not what they're saying. I mean, I think that's kind of how it's framed, right? But but it's it's like they're they're wing, uh, finger wagging each other. They're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the responsible one. How many people have you killed on the job? And he's like, not as many as you. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's 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 a very it's a gray area. Also, that scene the and I think it was in the trailer too. The like uh, where Martin Lawrence pretends to be that has it like puts on the white voice and asks for brown sugar yeah. as they are breaking and entering. Uh, oh, somebody's yeah. home yeah. that played very differently for me too. I was like, I remember just like laughing so hard at that. I'm like, no, they are going against so many protocols. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's interesting about this dude? Like, uh, what I didn't know is if you just saw this movie, I think, and you didn't really have a background and you know knew a lot about Michael Bay or whatever, didn't see when it came out. It seems like a big movie, yeah. Right? It has a very sort of wide angle view the explosion, the set pieces, it's, you know, it's Michael Bay doing his thing, but it's a small budget movie. Yeah. Like yeah. $19 million. It's, that's wild to me. That this makes movie, no sense. I to mean, me. again, to his credit, like, especially because Will Smith's in it, I guess, but like, this looks like a giant movie. Oh, mm -hmm. it looks massive. And I there's mean, all this stuff about, you know, you know, Sony didn't believe in it. And there's a lot of reasons. I mean, talk about racism. Yeah. I yeah, mean, like yeah, they didn't yeah. want, uh, two black guys as a lead because they thought it wouldn't play internationally. That's still a problem today. Happens right. all the time. They're right. like, we're not going to put them in the lead because it's not going to play in like you know uh, this China. part of Europe or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, um, but I mean, like, and to okay. Michael Bay's great credit, right? Like he is characteristically arrogant about that in interviews. Mm -hmm. But like, I kind of think he's right, right? He like, is. I, I is, think sure. that like making a big black movie like this with yeah. like black movie stars and having it do as well as it did was like a really, really big deal for like movies at that time, right? So like that that is a great like feather in this movie's cap, I guess. Yeah, we could have had the Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Yeah. Right? Like, that, unbelievable. How does that even work? And also, at some point, uh, when either, I don't know if it was Carvey or Lovitz, or maybe both of them had dropped out, they were trying to get Arsenio Hall uh, yes. in one of the roles. <laughs> yeah, which and maybe could have worked. I, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fantastic in Coming to America. Let's not talk yeah. about the sequel. But... Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned the, the, the budget piece, and it's just insane to think about, you know, how huge a star Will Smith became, like, in less than a year. Like, yeah. uh, Independence Day comes out less than a year after Bad Boys, and That's it's, it's and he, like, he set in stone huge, that he's the right? king of Hollywood, right? You guys remember when that came out? It was like, yeah, yeah. he's like an A-lister all of a sudden. Like, right. How did this happen? Amazing. 
And and not to like sideline Martin Lawrence, who has, you know, had a not so great career of the last 20 years, but he's also just been like, that's the thing I've seen in interviews, especially with the third, very, very lackluster bad boys for life that came uh-huh. out a couple of years ago where it's like, you know, he, he got to a place where he was comfortable, just like not doing much. So it yeah. seemed, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's uh, right. Like you'd love to hear that, that. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, I love, even though the, I did not like the movie, I love the press circuit because the thing he, I was like clicking on link after link of different interviews, every single interview, his first response to the question of like, you know, what did you do to prepare for this movie? He's like, not much. I ate a lot of food. i used stuntmen this time like it was (laughs) i'm 54 get off my case um Um, here's one question i had i think you kind of mentioned this a little bit but you know there's a precedent here of 48 hours which you know we're going to talk about on on the next episode what are some other precedents here for this movie where's the lineage go back to oh man I mean, is there any, that's the thing that strikes me about this movie is that it is not only is it Bay's first movie, but it does sort of herald in a new style of filmmaking. You know, yeah. the transition of a lot of these commercial filmmakers, uh, David Fincher is another one. I think they went to school together or something. Um, this very quick, um, flashy, kind of a transition in Hollywood to something different. And can we think of anything that, sure. that would come before this that, that links um, to this? I mean, Bruckheimer directed this, right? How many movies did he ha- or not directed, uh, produced this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many movies did he have under his belt at this point? Because he, oh, God, like, so I mean, I, he did Top Gun in 86. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, when was... Con Air. He didn't direct Con Air, though, right? He just produced it. It was a yeah. year after this. That was after right? the. Yeah. yeah, I I kept being reminded of Con Air watching this. Uh, just sure. the, yeah, the like totally. almost. It's it's like a um post postmodern take on uh <laughs> like um action movies, right? Where it's like we know what self awareness is. We've had self-aware movies. Now we're going through self awareness to the other side, which is like. We kind of are self-aware, but we're never going to talk about it. <laughs> it's just going to be – it's like uh, – what did Quentin Tarantino say about how his movies are like the movies people in movies watch uh, <laughs> at the movies? Right. This is like that, but like another degree of abs- abstraction, right? Where it's just like, oh, like this is like a literal comic book that somebody brought to life. Yeah, the comic book I, concept definitely rings very true here because it's just everything's turned up to 11 – uh, everything's played for the explosion. Um, yeah, there's something about it that it feels different. And to me personally, um, you know, I hate this style of film. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like from the opening shot, uh, I couldn't get over how the close-up that he was doing. Just like close-up so, to close-up. It was yeah. so bizarre. It's Especially after watching uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yeah. Uh, I was like, well, this is this is gorgeous. This is like a painting. And then I got a close up of Martin Lawrence's nose, like right up his nose. Like, <laughs> what is like is like the the style of this film? It, it's so brute force. Yeah. Sure. You know, it's actually mean, interesting. I don't I don't disagree with you, but I think I might like I think especially this time around, it, it kind of worked for me. It's yeah. so kinetic. And fluid, yes. right? Like, I think that, like, your relationship to this movie is so sculpted by uh, the directing rather than the script or rather than even the characters. Like, I felt at such a distance from the actual sort of, like, narrative dramatic stakes happening in this movie. I never for an instant forgot I was watching a movie, right? Yes. Like, or But... I don't think that like he wanted you to, right? Like right. I think that like the the diverting aspect of how quick and fluid and always, constantly in motion this movie is, there is something going on there that feels intentional and feels a little bit like an auteur move to me. You know what I mean? Oh, there's there's tons of intention there, without a doubt. Like he is definitely sculpting a very specific style that I think comes more from his commercial work. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's like the editing. I think I was looking this up. I just became obsessed with like this metric of what is it? Average shot length or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
at 2.8 seconds. <laughs> which is just like, think about that. Every 2.8 seconds in Bad Boys. Bad Boys 2 is 2.23. And it, and then Armageddon, yeah, Armageddon's really low as well, right? I think so, yeah, I gotta look it up. Oh my um, god, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah and but yeah. I guess the point that I was trying to get across is like, I think the average now in a film is 2.5. So Bay yeah. won. He's, he, really? yeah, Bay yeah, totally. won. He knew what like, was he, coming. Oh, absolutely. And I, uh, there's some great video I found online where someone was basically warning, you know, some like a big old filmmaker was basically warning that this is the future. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what people want to see. I'm not saying it's bad or it's good. I'm just saying that like, this was probably the harbinger of, yeah. of that change. Yeah. Right. That's really it's like, interesting. I, it, it, it's just, oh man. It, it, like you said, it's film kinetic filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, like, it's like, uh, I mean, it, it's like, um, overstimulus right like that's got to be a, a part of it is that like people responded to this because it's like uh it's like what and this is gonna make me sound terribly old and out of touch but it, it's like with um video games right where it's just like yeah. it's just tickling that part of your brain yep. like, it's mm-hmm. immediate gratification and it's like when you make the colors go so fast and will smith is being charming at 700 miles an hour it's <laughs> it's like a drug right it just like yeah. com- the serotonin just hits mm-hmm. um, i do th- there, there's a really comprehensive interview with Bay it, it, in, of all places, Fandango.com. Um, but he okay. gets really uh, intense with uh, describing the the tensions that were on set when he was yeah. trying to do a lot of these. Like he would yeah. literally like hit, you know, tell you know, roll action and then call cut and the, and everybody's like no like you gotta that's not how you do it like you've got to have a lead time and you got to let it breathe a little bit and you can and he's like no I, that's how fast i want to cut so why would i keep filming and he he said that it was not only because that's what he wanted and because he wanted he, like he he was very conscious he says i was always trying to give the shot some energy and yeah right and, oh that's a perfect descriptor right right like that, yeah. absolutely this movie is supercharged with and that. then but like, uh, say what you will about it, like how how full of himself he is, and he is. But he was also very conscious of like how little he got budget wise. And he said the other yeah. advantage to doing it this way was to quote hide the cheap art direction coming at you from left and right. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and we see this right with like the the shaky cam stuff in the two thousands, yeah. Paul Greengrass, and all that, where it's like, yeah, it's it, it makes no sense, and it might like literally give you a headache. But it's you know budget friendly, and it does like add to the 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 feel that the director is aiming for. Yeah, yeah you're right, uh, Daniel. It's like I was struggling to come up with precursors, but I can think of three hundred movies that this is a direct exactly like, ancestor to. Right? Yeah. The other thing that like a, pops yeah. in my head is like um, Beverly Hills Cop and Lethal Weapon, but those are right. those are definitely slower movies. Right. Yeah, they I, don't I will have the style. I don't think you would just like you wouldn't have Bay without Bruckheimer behind him. You wouldn't have Bay or Bruckheimer without Tony Scott coming yes. out of the woodwork in the eighties, right? And yes, and that's the you know uh, clear you know viewpoint of uh, the Beverly Hills Cop stuff and Top Gun, but it's also I think like if you look back at um, even just five years earlier, Days of Thunder, where yes, you, right. you know, that like that's literally a movie about like moving so fast and. Uh-huh. Even though I I don't have a great recollection or fondness for it, it, you can't deny like there's a reason why there was an outpouring. Even though Tony Scott like was very much like a you know workman like <laughs> that's an overused word on this podcast um, director when it came to like action movies and like just blockbusters, just trying to you know do his job. I mean there was an outpouring of love and support from from all corners of the industry when he passed, and right. it, it wasn't just because like he was. A, a force in the industry is because like he was one of the forces in the industry and i would say uh just to to finish my uh comment that not only tony scott but also john mctiernan is probably oh, another big pure precursor to bay um and you know just two years before bad boys he did last action hero and sure. of course he did oh, wow. die hard and predator so and i think you i recently rewatched last action hero for some dumb reason um, <laughs> it's, it's a great movie no it's it's really bad but i wanted to push that for this series but you i know you did good. i couldn't i, I, I couldn't always uh, i always always think about the the line where he comes up to a henchman and he goes do you want to be a farmer and, and he just kicks the dude and he just goes fucking flying through the air yeah. amazing yeah, yeah. Well, what 
is there something different about what he's doing now? I, those are all precursors, no doubt. Yeah. But like, there's something, there's like a little sort of verve here that like, it's just, maybe yeah. it's turned up more. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is, right? Like, I think he saw like, even like hyper stylized movies like The Driver or something, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, I, or Days of Thunder or Top Gun. And he was like, hold my beer, right? Like, I, yeah. I'm like the new kid and I'm going to show you how it's done, right? Like, this yeah. is like the uh, logical conclusion to sort of a fragmentation of um, like long cinema in favor of the sort of like immediate gratification. Yeah. <laughs> instantaneous ADD release. Cinema, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. It, no, it really is. It really, it's hyper cinema. And uh, it's funny, like going back to like how intense he was on set. There's a great uh, Bruckheimer quote where he goes like the first day of filming, Bay did 40 setups. A normal director <laughs> does about 10. Yeah. So <laughs> like that. Yeah. There's like, there it's, I think it's the thing that I actually admire about Bay. I don't lo- necessarily love his style all the time, but his drive yeah. and his intensity to really, you know, the fact that this was filmed for $19 million doesn't make any sense to me. And the only yeah. reason it looks that way is 100% because of Bay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, I mean, you would have thought that the $19 the million just would have been his Coke budget for this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was, right? But, like... Yeah, yeah he did go over budget, it seems. It really yeah. is yeah. Uh, amazing. Just like the... I think, uh, Daniel, you said brute force. That's a really good yeah, term yeah. for that um it's it's interesting that he became the the sort of like industry darling after this um but you can kind of see the early um roots of that definitely holy shit i just looked it up they gave him 75 million to do the rock the next year oh wow how did yeah how does that even work well it's sony versus because sony fought with them right yeah yeah yeah. they're sort of like hey you can't do this shoot he like there's the whole story which he probably made up he wrote a check to do this action scene he didn't get the money back till afterwards the, the other thing about Bay, he's an incredible self-promoter. Yeah. He creates mm-hmm. his own myth about himself, about what he's doing, to make it sort of as grandiose as his films, right? Yeah. Um, right. He kind of lives like he makes his art. Um, you know, like, I don't know, like, going back to sort of thinking about the... It's clearly a very influential film. But looking back on it, outside of, say, the technical evolution that I think was sort of a, a, a leap here, what is there anything else to grab onto? <sighs> we talked about sort of, you know, two black men as the centerpiece here. That's big. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's huge in the Especially 90s. Especially Will Smith. I mean, yeah. to, to see Will Smith before he became Will Smith or like right when he was on the cusp of becoming Will Smith, I guess, is really something. Um, also, you the thing you just said about um, – like how Michael Bay was given how much for the rock just like a year later. Right. 75. Yeah. It's like that, that in and of itself is a fascinating piece of uh, film history. Just to think that it also kind of makes me sad. It's like, man, remember when movies were like a really big deal and like people wanted to move fast because (laughs) they were like a huge like business and they weren't just Marvel movies and Disney and streaming services. Mm -hmm. And like, it's so fascinating to me to think about the fact that like there were directors who were sort of like mainlined so quickly into the like public consciousness just on the back of like one $19 million movie that like all of a sudden the next year they're making blockbusters. Right. right. It's like, that does not happen anymore. That yeah. And a rated R blockbuster too. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, it, and it was the rock, which is a, a fucking weird blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty strange. But I mean, it, bad boys was a huge hit. I yeah. mean, like yeah. I was looking at the box office, like, I mean, adjusted worldwide to two hundred and seventy-five million dollars, and right. a lot of that's overseas too, right? right? Which was what Sony was worried about, exactly. Right. And yeah, uh, one quick note about Will Smith um, before we get too far away from him. Um, there's this really interesting capsule of uh, vibe. Um, they reprinted uh, their entire '95 cover story with uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, and. Uh, you know, Smith, he, he, even though he was coming from TV and he was not a star yet, like he had his choices for sure. uh, available to him, his options for how he wanted to get, you know, 
to become that star. Um, so it's interesting that Bad Boys is the one that he landed on and chose, especially considering, you know, how much trouble the script had been in uh-huh. um, in development for so long. But he had a interesting quote, especially considering where cinema has gone more recently. He said back in 95 uh, that when he chose Bad Boys because he wanted something that could be as real as possible. Because, right, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, he, want, he says, what makes you an effective superhero in a film is that you don't want to be one. Like Bruce Willis in Die Hard, last thing he wanted to do was run over that glass barefoot. People can't relate to a guy who just jumps in front of bullets. Which I don't know if I fully get what he's saying there. Because there is definitely like, you know, a, there, there's a there, there's a you know huge amount of machismo in both the, you know, diehard character and the bad yeah. boys characters. But I think what it comes down to is like the reason one of the reasons Marvel has taken over uh, cinema is because there's they it, it's it's quips and explosions, right? Like that there is. <laughs> a definite through line um and it doesn't matter what race the protagonists are it doesn't even matter who you know gets in the suit like nobody cared that it was robert downey jr in iron man suit nobody cared it's just like it's the and you have somebody behind the camera like bay who's thinking larger than life and it's even though it's trash it's still cinema magic and it's both frustrating and uh, incredible (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean love, it's just it's I, like yeah it's it's just sort of like unabashed um like no no lies commercial filmmaking right it's mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. this is here to like appeal to the masses and to make tons of money uh and like that is that is why it was created and that is why um we do it and there's nothing wrong with that right that's sort of like really like i don't know if that is bad boys necessarily right because i think that he this was probably more of a passion project as his debut but that's kind of what it led to and it like it's effective at delivering that right yeah anyway it's just of all the things to kind of start this domino effect you get the movie that John Lovitz passed on because the script was a mess. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense though on some level because like that movie would have been like an 80s-ish thing. Right. And then when you put Martin Lawrence and Will Smith in here and you get Michael Bay involved, it all of a sudden becomes like a 90s paradigm. Yeah. Of just like mm-hmm. pure action, pure adrenaline. And then, you know, you turn it down a bit for some comedy and then you turn it right back up. Yeah. Uh, and we it works. Should've... I mean, it's... I, it really when we started to talk about absurdist action movies we started about like action comedies like this is the one it's that came to mind first yeah oh it's yeah just it's like, essential right it's, it's yes yeah it it's, really yeah. it defines the it defines what we're trying to talk about right right and now like, no go ahead <laughs> no okay you were gonna do the segue which is a perfect spot for it but i can't not mention this because our previous episode uh the main film we talked about was hot fuzz and oh hell yeah (laughs) yeah there's a you know a literal like textual connection there with bad boys 2 yes but um the the shot that we see in bad boys 2 through the lens of nick frost and simon pegg's characters in hot fuzz is the pretty iconic circle trolley shot that bay redoes for the sequel and that he began um getting you know it, it I mean it's it it's it's so just like uh seminal that it, it becomes to the point where it's like it, it's that moment and we talked about this a little bit with self-aware horror a couple cycles ago and we even talked about a little bit with like the the self-awareness of existential thrillers and you mentioned david fincher and like the game where it's like you got to have a sense of playfulness to it i mean i think i would like to hear your guys's thoughts maybe we can save them when we incorporate them with jackie chan in a bit here um because i think it kind of applies to him too uh are we is he trying to like be a parody of himself is there a self-awareness no, there with bay absolutely not okay i okay. think there's zero with self-awareness that just that that the the melodrama of that circle trolley shot and the fact that like he had to like you know that he just like came up with it in the moment makes it feel like you know he is i don't know maybe i'm, I'm i mean he's, I'm, to me he's just fulfilling this sort of like teenage boy fantasy yeah and there's yeah. some quote in here i forget where it was of one of the producers really kind of saw him once 
filming this really attractive woman and you know they looked over at him and where is it go we, we there was a look in his eyes like he had reached nirvana it was childlike wonderment wow. I, I don't think there's a lot going on there unless you're watching 13 hours which is a different story oh my god wow <laughs> you know i but, just think i think he's transcended the uh self-awareness irony event horizon or uh <laughs> binary i think that there's great power in shamelessness yes. <laughs> right I, I think that like he wouldn't ever give i mean he's sort of like this is a deeply weird comparison but it's sort of like the david lynch mystique where it where it's mm, like yeah. does does david lynch think about this stuff like what what does he put into his movies is it all just his dreams it's sort of like it's like is is michael bay self-aware does he know that he's so juvenile and silly it's like it it works doesn't it and like that is i think that's about as far as he gets right it's like yeah i'm gonna keep doing the thing that works and i don't care to examine it <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, i've not seen a lot of holding up the mirror at all um <laughs> let's jump to uh our chaser movie which is a leg uh, legend of drunken master uh aka drunken master 2 uh, which technically came out in 1994 in China, Hong Kong, but didn't come out in the United States till 2000. Um, where do we begin? I'm going to uh, self, uh, self-admit here. I don't know much about Hong Kong action movies or Kung Fu movies in general. This and the first Drunken Master are probably the two that I saw for the first time in my life. Okay. So I need, I need, Harry, I feel like you guys did an episode on this. I feel like I need your take first to sort of yeah, ground so- us. That's really interesting because Drunken Master 2 is a really um, fascinating movie within the history of Hong Kong action, right? Because uh, it was like three-fourths directed by Lau Kar Lung, who is like arguably the most famous Hong Kong uh, martial arts movie director. He did um, 36 Chamber of Shaolin. He did... the first drunken master. Um, he did a bunch of, um, stuff along with, uh, Gordon Lee or Gordon Liu. Um, and, uh, it really shows up, but then like three fourths the way through this movie, uh, he was fired by Jackie Chan, the <laughs> star and Jackie Chan took over directing. And, um, Chris, I think this was in your notes, but, um, they filmed this movie sequentially, uh, yeah. like in scene order, which is kind of unusual, but apparently that's how they did hong kong movies um and you can tell like the moment that it snaps right uh like there are two directors in this movie and they're two directors who know a ton about how to direct martial arts movies but they're very they're interested in different things right and so you kind of like this movie in and of itself is like this this microcosm education on like the old guard versus the new guard where like uh the thing about like Lau Kar Lung is he was like the the best of the like Hong Kong action movie directors right so he knows how to he knows how to shoot a coherent action movie scene that showcases the actors and the choreography and he knows how to incorporate like dynamic um environment and environmental storytelling within the frame and Jackie Chan is also very interested in those things, but he's also Buster Keaton and he yeah. also has Hollywood experience and he also has uh, comedy experience. Right. So mm-hmm. like when Jackie Chan takes over, all of a sudden the cuts ramp way up, the yeah. zooms ramp way up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the comedy is uh, highlighted, especially the physical comedy because he's the physical comedian that he is. Um, and, it's it's really fascinating that like we get to see two different styles and uh i think one of you called this sort of the last gasp of hong kong action cinema you can kind of see it fade away in real time in this movie in a sense right mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. yeah i mean and it's it's uh it's really interesting especially because jackie chan is the perfect carry through for that right because he he is the guy who has his feet in both markets um, and I think that this movie was, especially because it's a sequel to the first drunken master, it's really self-conscious about all of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also pretty new to this world of cinema. Uh, I think that the number one thing that stood out to me that I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on is like, you have yes, action and yes, comedy, but there's also, I mean, there's this 
huge backstory and history to it, um, especially the character that Jackie Chan plays, both in this and the the previous movie. And it should probably be noted. Uh, I mean, I kind of just assumed this based on cursory research, but like the when it was released in the U.S. for the first time in 2000, um, and the name changed to The Legend of Drunken Master, is that kind of an attempt to just like help it be an entry point, not people think make Americans think they need to like track down this 1978 Kung Fu movie, which Um, like, and, and especially because like the first drunken master is like very, very much a 1970s Kung Fu movie. Yes. It's like much, much Uh, more standard than this is. Um, and of genre than this is. It felt so different. Oh my God. I I know this is like, this is how is this a sequel to this? I mean, I get that there's a, a long time, but the, the style is so different. Like, it is just a completely different universe, it feels like. And there's this, oh. like, sense of, like, there, there's just, like, this this largesse to Drunken Master 2 that is just, if, just when you think it's not going to go to another, like, set or location, it goes there. And just when you think it, it, it won't have, like, a more absurd set piece, you know, he brings out the bamboo stick. And it's, it, what what i had grown up with when in terms of like martial arts like absurdist action was you know the the american stuff van damme seagal and so like and and brandon lee and you know yeah my brother showed me uh enter the dragon when i was little but like there's so much of that kind of size of uh movie making here that it was just it was eye-opening it was like looking i mean literally is like looking into a completely different world kind of like seeing your first bollywood movie or seeing uh you know what's going on in uh uh is it um nigeria with like the low budget action movies Mm -hmm. um there and it's just like it's incredible how how huge this world feels and yet it still very much is like even with the ridiculous amount of set pieces and action, um, ultimately, I, I think your your connection to Buster Keaton is spot on, and I think that's what you know the trial and theater literally did. Right, is when they were showing right. both Chan and Keaton movies, yep. um, uh, kind of threaded together, which is like you you kind of it's like that birth of cinema thing where it's like, oh my gosh, this is what movies can do can be, and I mean now of course I'm making a long list of the rest of hong kong cinema i've got to yeah. see shaolin because like oh I'm my like, god you yeah, gotta see it. 36 chamber of shaolin yeah. that's one of the best yeah. movies ever made man yeah uh um, yeah well that's one of the great joys about hong kong cinema and like kung fu movies in general is that every one of them is really in conversation with the other mm-hmm. i mean like kind of literally right like golden harvest was putting out like six of those bad boys a year during yeah. the golden age it was it was wild and like they were it was gordon Liu and um uh can't even think uh lao car lung and like a bunch of other guys that all knew each other and they had all directed each other and they were putting out these like products right like kung fu movies were like products for direct distribution into movie theaters to be seen shortly after they were filmed right mm-hmm. um and to, to make a, a budget um and uh this movie feels like almost like it's it's looking back on that legacy a little bit right because mm-hmm. it's like it gives yeah, you okay. it gives you those uh those moments of classic kung fu where the the plot stops so that jackie chan can fight four guys um and anita mui can cheer him on and, and throw him wine right um but like also it it transports them into sort of the modern context in so many ways right where it's like especially if you watch the weird dub of this movie which yeah. is which is such a sort of uh square peg round hole situation but like even that tension is really fascinating where it's like oh this is like this is them trying to make a um american action movie out of a hong kong kung fu movie yeah in a lot of ways and it's uh it i mean i think it's super triumphant and it's sort of like translates a lot of the um tropes and signifiers of kung fu movies into um, that modern context in a really fascinating way. What's crazy is I remember seeing Rumble in the Bronx. I was going to say that's Hell yeah. yeah, 1995 year after or 96, I think in the U S I remember seeing it in the theater and kind of being blown away. Had didn't never seen drunken master two before. 
But what's so fascinating to me going back and watching this and kind of, you know, being sort of uh, not super knowledgeable about Kung Fu or its history, um, it feels so different than the Jackie Chan that I know. <laughs> so oh, different. Because like Rumble in the Bronx is probably where I first saw him. I was like, well, this is really cool. And that has a, to me, has a direct link to Drunken Master and the style of the, the incredibly elaborate fight scenes that are just beautiful. Watching Drunken Master 2, it's like, you know, I kind of just want like the, it's not even on like DVD though, isn't it? Kind of like a lost print or something like that. You can't really get a lot of the versions. Uh, um, I'm DVD. not sure. Yeah, I think yeah, that might like be It's like one true. of those like things where it's like people are still pissed about it because you can't yeah. get a good version Especially of it. Especially like the Cantonese version, right? Like the actual. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, in, you know, uh, it's so beautiful to see this. But then I think about Rush Hour. And I think about what came after that. Shanghai Noon. Yeah. Rush yeah. Hour 2. Kung Shanghai Nights. <laughs> like we're talking like what? And like that's, I'm going to loop back around to sort of bad boys a little bit like rush hour kind of feels like a mixture of kind of like jackie chan trying to get into that sort of the more i guess he had super cop stuff like that but like mm-hmm. the lethal weapon type yeah. stuff what's that there's a huge change there right and i think that this is where the hands shake right like yeah. i think that like i mean jackie chan had been sort of like styling himself and being styled by major studios to be the sort of like Bruce Lee of um, Kung Fu action in China or in Hong Kong. Right. Um, Like police story is a lot like that, but, but you're right. Like this is really the bridge, right? Because it's like, this is still very demonstrably a Kung Fu movie. Um, And then like post this movie, we start to get like Jackie Chan's nineties and two thousands career in America where he's like, a comedy action star right um and uh I, I think that like that that's really interesting to look into because it it doesn't just sort of like um reframe the way you think about jackie chan's later career it can also reframe um kung fu movies themselves a little bit which was when we went back and watched a kung fu a bunch of kung fu movies that's what really stood out to me is that the thing that jackie chan understands so well is that um kung fu is hilarious and it, yes. it like always yeah. has been and yeah. that's that's as much a point of the genre as being badass. I mean, like yeah. you you can even go back to like Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin is a very very funny movie, um, and like the the kung fu is not just supposed to be sort of like awe inspiring. It's supposed to be like weirdly expressive and humanizing, right? Yes, and, like a dance almost. And it makes the transition to comedy later in Jackie Chan's career, especially when you have this movie as sort of a keystone, it makes it make a lot more sense, I think. Now, yeah. how do we, well, I'm kind of listening like going back to Bad Boys. How is the comedy like I'm thinking about now more Drunken Master and Drunken Master 2, although the, the comedy is somewhat similar. How is the comedy different in this versus that? Doesn't it feel dramatically different? Yes. Yeah. I mean, what's that, what's that uh, separation? You've got two sitcom stars doing a sitcom plot, and there's just happened to be tons of guns and explosions, right? Yeah. And like that's the other thing where, like I was kind of saying, like it feels like I'm opening my eyes to something that I didn't know was possible because I think so many of the American films we've talked about um, for the cycle, uh, you know, 48 hours, like we, we keep coming back to the idea of like, oh yeah, like the action is part of what is part, is the you know bones of the genre, and yet it all feel so much of it feels like perfunctory where it's like and we 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 i think we'll continue to say this and we'll definitely say this when we get to thunderbolt and lightfoot in the 70s um where it's like when it comes down to it it's like two guys talking right and they yeah. they have that chemistry they have that connection um whereas here it's like i mean the reason that keaton was who he was the reason who chan is who he is is because there is that like synergy that magic of like combining like where it's like this uh, uh and this is kind of what I was trying to allude to earlier where it's like I do think like Chan has a very uh analytical head when it comes down to both looking behind the camera in front of the camera how this is going to be exciting and how this is going to be hilarious and like he would you know obviously not want to literally get drunk to do drunken boxing this style of kung fu but he would you know hold his breath to like mimic what that feels like to be like woozy and wobbly and 
the fact that that's it's it's like uh i think you guys talked about this on your trial of episode about drunken master 2 where it's like uh harry like a dance more yeah. than it is uh c- like stand-up comedy like beverly like eddie murphy or will smith yeah it's it's expression right it's it's physical expression and storytelling using the body um and he jackie chan has this great way of like transliterating that for a western audience because i like I think that's always been true, but getting into Jackie Chan movies is how I sort of discovered that in more classic Kung Fu movies. Right. Um, the other thing about it that's that's really interesting is that um, I think that one of the big differences is the lack of machismo in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah I like, absolutely. I think that like, and and this makes it sort of a really interesting pairing with um, Bad Boys because like Drunken Master Two is kind of explicitly about. Uh, reframing the hero as not hyper masculine and not yeah. hyper competent and um, toxic in that way, right? Like, I think both the original folktale that these are based on, the Drunken Master movies, and Jackie Chan's kind of whole thing is that he's a doofus, right? He's yeah. like, mm-hmm. he's like kind of a silly, fun guy that, that, it doesn't really know what's going on, but he's lovable and charming. And uh, the whole sort of thematic through line of this movie is that that guy can also be a Kung Fu master, or maybe that's what a Kung Fu master actually looks like, um, which is actually what a lot of Kung Fu movies are about. It's yeah. like, it's about the the kid, right? Like even the karate kids kind of like that, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's about uh, how you don't have to have that sort of like, machismo and that you can actually be more expressive you know like even kung fu itself is not like it it can often look more humorous or graceful or feminine than uh something like boxing or certainly a gunfight right and like i think that that physical storytelling is also interweaving with like the real sort of messages at play here which is not to say like jackie chan has a had a gigantic ego right like i'm not saying that he's not a problematic hollywood figure or that uh there aren't terrible masculine um problems with the the culture that produced (laughs) um kung fu movies but there is something there right like it is a it is a different portrait of sort of like movie cool than Mm -hmm. michael bay's is well to go back to the go ahead I was just going to quickly say, like, to go back to the misogyny discussion regarding bad boys and obviously regarding a lot of the movies that we're talking about for this cycle uh, from 48 Hours to even Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, right? Like, I I think that that's an important point to make in addition to the fact that unlike all of these movies, except for, for better or worse, arguably Bullet Train, um, our new release with this cycle, uh, but even there, it's, it's still not as... Uh, potent and egalitarian as it is here in Drunken Master 2 um, with the the female characters. Like, Anita Mui is, I in many scenes, like, arguably, you know, borderline shows Jackie Chan up. Oh, dude, yeah, she absolutely, absolutely steals this movie. Yeah. It's, it's Jackie Chan in Jackie Chan's best movie doing what Jackie Chan does, and Anita Mui still takes it out from under her. <laughs> right. It's She's so good. <laughs> <laughs> um... I mean, that thing too that like stuck out to me and just watching it, it's just the, the mythology that's incorporated in these stories, mm-hmm. right? There's like, it, it just, there's, there's automatic depth that you're seeing like um, play out on screen and the story feels inherently universal. Uh, I mean, what's universal about Bad Boys? Bad Boys <laughs> is basically like... Um, Mike Lowry saying Mike Lowry is yeah it's wish fulfillment for a teenage American boy yeah and it's you know there's not you know we talk about all the technical expertise and stuff like that I'm cynic when it comes to that though right Mm -hmm. I respect that Bad Boys and Michael Bay did that but I think as a film in and of itself there's not a lot to bite onto it's just there's not it's not there no it's that's not a, it as that's a fascinating point because i and i'm thinking a lot about the like the legacy and history of kung fu and it's sort of ironic because like jackie chan is the greatest stuntman who ever lived right like yeah. i think this movie alone is is evidence of that but he's so relatable 
in this, right? Yes, and there, there's something so. about yeah. the nature of the stunt work and the action, which like this movie, it was one of the most physically demanding movies ever made yeah. and much, much more so than bad boys. But like somehow it feels democratizing, right? It feels like you watch a Kung Fu movie and you feel like, Oh, like now I like I want to do kung fu, or like I, <laughs> yeah, uh, like I'm thinking about my body this way. Um, and yeah. uh, with with bad boys, it's it's all about gatekeeping, right? Where it's like, no, you don't get it. These guys are supposed to be on another level, right? Exactly. They're, yeah, that's they're very comic true. Book characters yeah. that that uh, exist in their own world, whereas kung fu is all about like, hey, like you too could be a Kung Fu master, right? right? right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. There's a level yeah. of inspiration to it. Right. And there's like this, yeah. like this like collective sense of awe mm-hmm. that we, when you watch him do this and it's just sort of like, yeah, it's like watching someone break the Guinness book of world records or something. Like it there's really just something is. really and cool about it as like everybody's watching it. It's especially, like uh, there's that one particular music swell. Uh, they play it a couple times. I can't remember if it's in the last scene, but it's definitely in the scene where he's fighting the four guys drunk. And it's in the scene when he's using the bamboo pole. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there's this really great, and it's, it's just like, you're, you're so right. It's like watching this movie is like, it's a triumph of the human spirit. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like, how did a human being do, do some of yeah. the things that we're watching Jackie Chan do? <laughs> No, it's amazing. What if uh, Michael Bay did a uh, Jackie Chan movie? Oh my God. That sounds like a Drunken Master 3. I don't know. Like it, would, it would be like watching a strobe light. The cuts would be so fast. <laughs> uh, any, any closing thoughts here for Bad Boys and, and Drunken Master 2? Um, um, you go to it first, Dan. I'll, I'll go for it very quickly because I finally found this thing that I was looking for. So uh, David Fincher and Michael Bay did work at the same company, production company. Amazing. And what's interesting about this <laughs> They is, both did music videos, right? Yeah. And so David Fincher, I think, was a little bit before Michael Bay. So Michael Bay is, I think, a little bit younger. Um, he was called Little Fincher at the production <laughs> company. And I think that's perfect just to think about the foil here of, like, the, the route that similar backgrounds – you know, very privileged guys uh, mm-hmm. who grew up kind of in the film industry to some degree, um, you know, taking very different paths in their career. Like, it's like so stark to me. Like, we look at the game, like, think of the game versus bad boys. Yeah. Similar love- verve in kinetic filmmaking, yeah, yeah. but entirely different nourishment, if you will, out of it. Right. I love the idea that Michael Bay bullied. Uh, David Fincher, <laughs> and that's exactly why they ended up where they are, respectively. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll let you have the final word, uh, Harry, as our guest, but I did want to just say um, my kind of closing thoughts uh, is we we talked, I mentioned Bullet Train earlier, and in that first episode of this cycle, we also talked about 21 Jump Street, and yeah. this kind of idea that you know in bullet train one of the things that like just makes it fall apart and we don't think it really has much of a shelf life is that lack of chemistry well we know that bad boys has the chemistry but the thing that 21 jump street had in addition to the chemistry was the jokes and like legend of drunken master dragon master 2 like it it has the comedy down so like i think that's why you we're still talking about it so many years later even as it's like you know the last gasp so to say of hong kong cinema it's something that just like makes you want to like dive into uh something that is just like joyous like i i I, it's maybe i'm reaching here but the i had such a huge smile on my face the first time uh the credits rolled for 21 jump street and especially like the last bombastic uh set piece of drunken master 2 i was just like oh my gosh like it's just you you can't help but just grin and whereas uh bad boys and bullet train i uh you know I have nostalgia fighting me for bad boys. Um, and yet I still was like, Oh yeah, that kind of made me feel gross, but I, I it, it, it's what it is. And I think that, uh, uh, it'll be very interesting as we keep going through this cycle, um, to see which movies kind of give you that kind of, uh, you know, exciting feeling like a Bay movie does, uh, objectively, but still doesn't like, it doesn't leave you feeling nourished like the word to use the word yeah. you used 
That's so interesting. I haven't seen Bullet Train, so ap- apologies. Oh Don't um, no apologies. No, no, go see it. Go see I, uh, it. Enjoy yourself. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it didn't look very good to me. But it, it occurs to me that I have categorically more respect for Bad Boys than I do for something like Bullet Train. Yeah. Sight unseen, which again, if there are Bullet Train fans out there, you can at me and uh, destroy I, me. But, I, I can't believe they exist. Right, no, but like at least Bad Boys was trying to be its own thing, pretty yeah. indisputably, right? Like that. It's a it's a movie that has such character, right? Like, and and maybe yeah. you you can dislike the character, and maybe you can dislike what it led to or where it came from. But like Michael Bay was trying to make his own movie, right? Yeah. Whereas absolutely. like Bullet Train. Even the trailer was like, oh, you're trying to do a bunch of other movies uh, (laughs) and just sort of like you're trying to go back to Tarantino. You're trying to do like uh, Snatch. Uh, You're trying to, you know, and um, there's something there about like you can wear your influences on your sleeve on your sleeve, but you have to like be your own thing, you know, Um, I think that that's such a big part of and I mean, like, I think. That's a big part of why uh, Jackie Chan's career endures the way it does, right? Like, he was not the first action movie star. He wasn't the first um, sort of, like, silent actor age comedian. But he found something new in all of that. Um, And, you know, like it or not, I think that uh, Bad Boys did too. Even if what it Both found was like, in their own ways. yeah. Even if what it found was like, oh yeah, I mean, like one of them was like, hey, uh, the the greatest stuntman who ever lived is going to make every single other action movie set piece look like garbage <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. from here until the end of time. And Michael Bay was like, hey, what if uh, buddy cop movie, but forty five percent faster? <laughs> but, <laughs> but like they they were both they both had their own ideas, so no, there's it. something there. Well, thanks for being on the show, Harry. Yeah, you guys so got, what do you guys got coming up on your podcast? Oh, man. Uh, so we're either going to be doing uh, Kuniko Tanaka. She's a um, Japanese film director from the 70s, I believe. Yeah. Um, nice. They're playing a bunch of her movies at the Trilon, and they're impossible to find anywhere else. So uh, yeah. if anybody's interested, you should definitely check those out. Um, or uh, they're also doing Disney movies. <laughs> okay, there you so go. So we'll be doing um, either of those i guess i think next up is uh probably snow white and then we're going to do some kuna kotanikas that nobody's ever seen so fun stuff there you go love it thanks so much for having me on guys this was so thank you this has been film trace